Hi everyone, and welcome back to The Blast Podcast, a show where we believe movies can be more than just movies. I'm your host, Steve Watts, joined as always by my co-host, the Alaskan Bullworm, and today we're bringing you a very special episode about Denis Villeneuve's Dune Part 2. We are fresh out of our screenings right now, so we won't be discussing what we've watched this week, we're just going to jump right into the action after a word from our sponsor. As always, The Blast Podcast is presented by The Blast app, which is going to be available sooner than you may realize. Make sure you're following our Instagram page at Blast underscore movies underscore, our TikTok at Blast.movies, and our YouTube channel at Blast.movies to stay up to date on all of our latest content. There you'll find podcast clips, movie ticket reviews from Ty and myself, and up-to-date news on the progress of the app. Lastly, please make sure to check out our app's landing page at Blastmovies.net where you can learn more about what Blast is going to be. Alright, Ty, so we've talked a lot about the lead-up to, to movies that have insane hype, like Dune Part 2 has. I, I want to hear about what like what the last couple of days has looked like for you. I can't even... It's not even just the last couple of days for me. It's been, it's been Dune Month. My roommate and I have been chanting, Dune Day, Dune Day, for the last, like, honestly, what feels like 45 days. For some reason, he was a big, big fan of Dune Part 1. I was not, but I could at least like appreciate the event that Dune has created for movie dorks. So I was all in. So Dune Day became a real thing. I think it was, we've been prepping for tonight to watch this movie. We finally agreed, all right, let's just put our heads down and finally rewatch this movie for the first time since the theater watch. And mind you... I did not uh, enjoy that theater experience too much. I enjoyed the visuals. Like I could, from a technical standpoint, could appreciate part one. But I remember leaving the theater thinking, I'm not sure I liked that. I was pretty bored for a majority of that. And then rewatching it, I almost fell asleep. So I was a little worried, a little worried on that front. But got through the rewatch and then was immediately excited um, just thinking about the Dune popcorn bucket that I got to got to take a look at today at the AMC. So that that was that was about it for me. Day was made after that. So I actually want to read you an excerpt. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Dune Part One was one of the first movie reviews I ever wrote for uh, Wesleyan's paper, The Argus. And the, this last like three paragraphs, I think will give you a good idea of how I went into this, this film. I rewatched Dune yesterday. I loved it again. But my, my quote was, Dune blew me away. And I think that it has the potential to be the greatest science fiction film ever made. Nevertheless, I only got to see half of the story. If the second part of Villeneuve's film matches the quality of the first, there's no doubt in my mind that the two will go down as one of the greatest stories ever told on the big screen. Despite the main character being underdeveloped and the fact that the sequel is incredibly crucial to this film's success, I think this movie is still 5 out of 5 stars. I'll be anxiously awaiting October 20th of next year to see how the diligy ends. Dune has laid the foundation for an incredible sequel. Now its legacy rests in the hands of Denis Villeneuve. That checks out about as perfect as I could script it. I remember when I was asking that initial question of, 
that I like this movie. After thinking about it for a while, that drive home from Dune Part 1, I remember saying something very similar in the sense of this feels like a three-hour setup to a different movie. Like Denis Villeneuve pitched Dune Part 2, but also was like, hey, before we get to this movie, we kind of need to set it up, establish you know the world, the the concept of Paul Atreides and everything that's going on with the Harkonnens and stuff. So I don't know. I, I never wanted to look at part one as its own thing because it didn't feel like its own thing that after part two, maybe we would have a six hour perfect science fiction epic. And I mean, I don't know that, that that's, those were my thoughts after part one. That's, that's fair. I feel like, Coming out of Dune 1, I viewed it as Act 1, a, a three-hour-long Act 1 of a movie, um, which is absurd, uh, but it, maybe it's warranted, maybe it's not. Um, I think that this movie... I, I, I Should I just go ahead and dive into spoilers right away here? I, so I, I feel like we're, we're leaning heavy into some implications of how we feel about Dune Part 2, so before we do that, let's... Let's do the blast shtick. You know, let's let's talk about that theater experience. This is kind of I think this is the first big theater experience of the year. So, Steve, kind of walk us through your Dune Part 2 theater watch. It was pretty sad for me, man. Um, I so let me start yesterday. I went to pre-purchase my tickets because I assumed that this would be a sellout. And I looked, there was like 10 seats taken in the GDX theater at Kendall 11, which, you know, is like massive. Um, and I ordered the the tickets and maybe this was an omen, uh, but Fandango charged me the 50 bucks for three tickets and then didn't give me the tickets. Uh, so I had to like file a customer service claim, go through all that, got my money back. And I was like, all right, I'll just order them at the theater since the theater's fucking empty. Um, and I got there and nothing had really changed from when I saw that, uh, which actually like legitimately made me very sad. Um, sat down the trailers. We only got three. Uh, it was for if, which is the new John Krasinski movie looks horrible to me. Um, Deadpool three and Godzilla and Kong. Um, so just three trailers of massive blockbusters which i guess you can expect at a big blockbuster like this uh but i i started this dying laughing because the the trailers stop we fade into to like the big quote at the bottom about like spice's power and the dude behind us was crinkling like his bag of gummy worms for a minute and a half straight <laughs> and just total silence throughout the rest of the theater and it's just i was like oh my god dude just get one out holy shit um but that wasn't as bad as uh we were about two-thirds of the way to the back in the very back row there was probably six uh either high schoolers or junior high kids uh that were just loudly talking through the first 45 minutes of the movie and shout out to whoever was sitting down the row from us he he stood up he marched back there and he was like listen you guys might not have paid for your tickets here your parents might have all of us paid for our tickets for this and we want to see this movie on opening night so shut up or i'm gonna go get the managers and get you kicked out and the kids just left 
they like just left the theater and didn't come back, uh, which was awesome. I was like, hell yeah, man, way to go, dude. That's a that's a hero right there. I wish I had the stones to do that. Yeah, dude, he's Batman. <laughs> um, that's that's about as Batman as it gets. And let me tell you, man, I I didn't have anyone John during our theater, but your crinkling story with the rapper, of course, man. One person right behind me and Jack for the first hour and 30 minutes, just still working on the same bag of candy. The for for 90 minutes, bro, it's like 10 pieces of candy. Like, what are you, how are you still working on that? Um, but I will say that was like a weird anomaly. Everyone else was locked. It breaks my heart that your theater was empty. We had a sold out theater on a Thursday night in Milwaukee. It was gorgeous. It was kind of a jump scare too, because I didn't buy the tickets. I was traveling for work. So I let Jack run point on buying the tickets, which scared the shit out of me, but he, he verified the seat location with me before. So he did. Okay. Front row. <laughs> we show up, we show up to the theater about like 40 minutes early so we can get our concessions and just like, relax first and know what we were. I think we were like the second or third group to show up in a, in an IMAX screen, which is crazy because I still remember, you know, five years ago going to NCG and like having to wait an hour to just to buy tickets, let alone sit down and, you know, you'd walk into a packed house. So I do kind of miss that. I do enjoy the convenience of, like ordering my tickets online and being able to just know where I'm sitting. But I miss the rush of having to gamble and like lock in, you know, but that was, that was fun to see a full theater. Everyone locked in bunch of movie nerds. So no messing around. I did in fact see the Godzilla vs Kong trailer and it looks (laughs) atrocious, but on the flip side, my roommate is the biggest Rebecca Hall fan, you know this. Like Rebecca Hall truther. We have a Rebecca Hall of Fame here at our apartment and she's kind of just the founding <laughs> the founding father of that Hall of Fame. So that was great to see. The only great trailer, I know we were talking before this pod and I could not figure out what movie had me like super invested. It was the Mad Max sequel or uh-huh. spin-off Furiosa with Anya Taylor-Joy. If you haven't seen that trailer, that one's a serious banger. It's a good one to see on a big screen. I hmm. I haven't even seen uh, Fury Road. I have no shame in admitting that, but now I want to go and watch it, so I'm ready for Furiosa. Interesting. Yeah, I never I never got through Fury Road either. I watched it the first like ten minutes that one night I told you about where my friend was tweaking out. So yes, I watched it, but I I think that I'd need to just start shipping up to Chicago and going to the music box for these premieres. Um, I got to see the Oscar nominated animated shorts there this weekend. And I saw that Dune was playing today in 70 millimeter. And I'm sure that crowd would be fucking like just phenomenal. And no doubt. I, this is a great example. I think of the blast grade impacting the movie grade a little bit. Maybe if I have a better experience then the movie grade goes up a little bit and I still did really enjoy this movie. I, I want to talk to you about this though. What was your, your movie grade blast grade for, for Dune part two? Oh, we're diving right into, right into business here. So everyone's going to know how we feel before we dive into thoughts. And I kind of like that. So from an objective standpoint, looking at it from a movie grade lens, 
I'd like to give it an A. I do have some minor nitpicks um, that may not seem minor, but because of how good I, I and grand and epic this movie was for me, it doesn't knock it down enough. So I'm going to give it a movie grade of an A. And then from a blast grade, an event and experience side of things, this is one of those movies you tell your kids about. This theater watch, I'll, I'll never forget some of the small intricate details with Jack being there, the guy crinkling his his candy wrapper behind me, like the way the the IMAX was like moving. It was just I don't want to dive too much into it. I'm going to give it a blast grade of an A+. It is in that top 10 category for me. Wow. Um for me the watch wasn't as special. My blast grade is a C, but I think I already made that pretty clear with with my theater experience. And my movie grade, I have a feeling we're going to have a lot of the same nitpicks and since my theater experience wasn't as good, I think they hit me a little harder. Um I'm still giving it a movie grade of an A minus though. I think it's very well done, uh but frustrating in some ways. And similar to your Dune Part 2 experience where the blast grade was kind of meh, so it kind of affected the movie grade a little bit. I think that's what happened with Part 1 for me. So because of the blast grade being a C, and again, I wasn't a big fan of Dune beyond the, te- beyond the technical aspects of it, I'd give it at best a B, but I'm probably leaning closer to B-. minus. Not a big, Not a big Dune Part 1 guy, I will say. So I, I have to talk... Uh, about slight spoilers here so i I assume that people listening to this pod the day after dune comes out have seen it on opening night um but my dune part one experience i think was helped by chris stuckman's review um which very early on told me just so you know this is part one it's not a complete movie otherwise i probably would have felt very similar to you um and i kind of felt similar to how you felt after Dune 1, after Dune 2. Uh, I was expecting this story to be to be complete and finished, and I was disappointed that we're going to be waiting another year and a half for another sequel. Um, I That said, I, I really enjoyed the first Dune. Uh, it's movie grade for me as an A. I loved just about everything about it, even though it is a two and a half hour long Act 1. I think it is the greatest Act 1 in, in film history, probably. Um... And my blast grade for it is probably an A. Uh, I remember seeing this opening night at the theater in Bloomington. I called Jake on my way home because he had just uh, come out of the theater too. We talked about it, talked about how Hans Zimmer is a genius, uh, how maybe Chalamet is that guy. And it's a memorable night for me. So speaking of memorable nights, this is going to be kind of a messy breakdown of is dune part two a blast movie because i have it slotted at an a plus you have it slotted at a c but i think if we break it down by our loose categories of what builds into a blast movie i think we can i think we can figure this out so i think the the criteria that you and i have kind of established over the last couple months is it's a blast movie can make you feel something. It can teach you something. It can create a memory or just have some certain special moments. So kick us off with something you felt or just feelings surrounding this movie. 
Um, I think the biggest uh, like feeling moment for me is is the the romance between Zendaya and uh, Chalamet. That's something that I hope Villeneuve continues to explore. Uh, I don't know if it quite lived up to my expectations after getting like the the little teaser trailers of Zendaya through Dune One, but it was an interesting dynamic between the two. Um, they're two very different actors, I think is part of what makes that relationship so interesting on the screen. But I also like how, how skeptical, uh, Zendaya's character is about, about, uh, what Paul is doing with, with his atomic arsenal and with all of the, the power that he's getting throughout this film and how disappointed she feels, uh, in him and i also think that paul's character gets I, I i think paul's character is made quite a bit more compelling by having him be in love with uh chani zendaya's character without being able to have her um uh, because of his need to i don't know go into power i guess <laughs> is it is it johnny or chani chani c-h-a-n-i so it's funny you say that, like breaking down their relationship with that dynamic there. It was simpler, or I, I thought of it in a simpler sense that Zendaya's character, Johnny, is in love with Paul, um, not this godlike figure that he be, ends up becoming. And that right. will be the dynamic tug for the next maybe one movie, maybe two, maybe three movies. I, I don't know where they're taking this, but. Um, I agree with you that all of the feelings, the heart of the movie, I think lies in those two characters and their relationship. The only kicker for me is where I was feeling something, the Hans music swelling up. One of my favorite scenes in this movie is Paul and Chani sitting on the sand hills. It was like their first big moment together. I think they had their first kiss on the sand hills with just a gorgeous Hans Zimmer piece. And I just, I felt, you know, I felt a little warm and fuzzy. So (laughs) always a great moment. But the way their relationship ends up panning out for the next two hours kind of taints that that moment for me. But that was about as close to the feels as I got. I'll even give an honorable mention for uh, Uncle Thanos popping up. I love seeing Josh Brolin, even if he plays an over-the-top uh, dramatic character in this movie, but we'll we'll unpack that later. Absolutely. Um, if you're good to move on to the to the lessons you learn, then I think you're better off kicking this one off. So, I learned a lot with Dune Part Two. I definitely did. Um, I think for starters, just a lesson in my own life. I got to stop being a grumpy old man when it comes to movies, and and just remember that the universe always balances itself. That for as many stinkers that we get every year or, you know, in 2023, 2022, just every single year I, I bitch and complain about bad movies that come out or that movies just aren't made the same way anymore. I miss some of the intangibles that my favorites possess. And then a movie like Dune Part 2 comes out or Blade Runner 2049 comes out or The Batman comes out. But Dune Part 2 is the one that kind of solidified it for me that not only do they still make movies like they used to and still make them special, they're evolving into something more. And 
40 years down the line, we're going to start getting big blockbusters that we'll be able to say they don't make them like Doom Part 2 anymore. That there's a new formula alongside movies still having charm that are that some of our favorites from the past still have. So that's a big lesson learned. I actually like that take. Um yeah, I I'm surprised to hear you say this, man. It's making me smile. I it was it was a good moment. I've been kind of bitter the last couple years. I don't know, because I've been rewatching some of my favorites, like A Few Good Men and Rounders, and all I ever do is complain about how streaming is taking this away. But I have to remember that there are still smaller projects that kick ass and not only remind me of my favorites, but also create a new favorite for me. Like I just saw Lady Bird like a month ago. What a great movie. Waves, like smaller movies. I I don't mean to go on a tangent, but this one kind of just woke me up and reminded me to relax a little bit. But let me um, let me pivot a little bit here. Let me (laughs) ruffle some feathers. I was watching this movie and even when I was rewatching Doom Part One, it it really started to occur to me. And then I, I looked at when the story of Doom was created versus when Star Wars was created. George Lucas. Is he on fraud alert? Is he like on Steve Jobs, like Mark Zuckerberg territory alert? This fucker kind of stole everything from Dune. I don't know. Um, The voice is basically the force, force, you know, Paul Atreides, Luke Skywalker. There's a lot of political jargon with, you know, uh, the... Hurricanes or whatever, you know. Hurricanes, yeah. Thank you. I, I think, um, I don't know, as somebody who's done a lot of research into writing and, like, really wants to be a good writer, like, all you ever hear is that the same three stories are told over and over again. Um, and so I don't think that taking aspects from Dune or being inspired by aspects of Dune makes George Lucas a fraud. Uh, I think the world he built in star Wars is incredibly different than the world uh, of Dune. Um, And he makes, I I think that the, the big difference for me between star Wars and Dune. And I was thinking a lot during this movie, how much it reminded me of star Wars with like uh, when Chalamet was like, my allegiance is to you, to the Fremen. I was like, Oh, it's, it's Hayden Christensen. Um, I, I think that uh, Lucas's like entire tone is different. I think he's trying to convey different messages than are in this, this book slash movie. Um, but I, I do understand what you mean. Yeah, it's more food for thought. I, How can you knock George Lucas? I mean, he only took an idea, evolved it, and then made it the biggest empire in <laughs> maybe the history of American film. So it's just you know something to consider that, you know, you got to think that the guy that created Dune has to be kicking himself like, damn, I had I had. I had a golden, I had the lottery ticket. I was too afraid to cash it in. Yeah. But, uh, I, I, I kind of want to read uh, the book or the books, um, but I don't know. I've, I've heard that the way it's written is very long, drawn out and boring. <laughs> yeah. I, I prefer nonfiction. I am kind of a loser, but I will say I, after seeing part two, like halfway through the movie, I was like, damn, do, do I want to read this story? I'm probably going to hold off until 
the movies all come out because I don't want it spoiled at this point. But it's such a it's it's so riveting. I just want to know what happens. I'm just itching. I think the world building is insane, and it can it's probably so much more expansive in the book. So I'm pulling out a a DVD here of a different movie because I want to dive into the lessons I learned. Not too long ago, I watched <laughs> David Lynch's Dune 1984. Um, really, just a wonderful movie. Uh, that was. the first so it's two hours and 17 minutes long the first hour and 45 minutes i think does effectively what dune part one does and then the last 30 minutes is all of dune part two jam-packed in but it actually has like an ending uh which is nice and i was really excited to see how Denis Louvre would handle that ending and how he would show the growth of this with two hours longer than one of the greatest filmmakers of all time had. And the lesson I learned is just like, never get your hopes up for anything ever um, and never expect closure. Uh, It's, it's a, this, this is a, as much of an artistic project as this is and as beautiful as it is. And as much as I enjoyed the film, um, it, this is, it's, it's all a machine, man. This is, I mean, how many Dune movies will they make? I want to talk about that a little bit later, but that's a big thing I took away from this. The other one, though, on a more serious note, is that the best of us rise to the occasion when we need to. Um, I thought he did a really good job of of making of forcing Timothy Chalamet into that position of leadership. Um, I can't remember what movie it was or the direct quote, but there's something uh, along the lines of like great leaders don't always. Uh, come into or like take their power sometimes they're thrust into it and then they have to deal with with the consequences and and use that power well i think that that's really conveyed pretty well here i you're saying that villeneuve did a great job of executing that or chalamet okay i think it's i guess (laughs) i was gonna say it's a little bit of both for me i another like small lesson i learned I, i got a hint of it in part one but i'm now officially on board with Chalamet kind of being the man. I never really understood that because I always looked at him as being a boy, but (laughs) there were a couple scenes where as he steps up into that leadership position where I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd ride for this guy. I'd, (laughs) I'd go, I'd go take down the emperor. I'm on board. He's, he's very, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say magnetic because I feel like I use that all the time. I would say powerful. I, I felt his presence, which was cool. I like it. Um, if, if you don't mind, I, I want to kick off the memories section of this. Is this a blast movie? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, this is definitely a blast movie for me. And in turn, I think a big part of why it's a blast movie for me is because I know for sure it's a blast movie for my roommate. We talk about producer Jack and his list of like six movies he likes and what really like gets his gears going when it comes to movies. And I will tell you that there is nothing in Dune Part 2 that signals this is a Jack Began movie. But I could tell he was locked the whole time. He was damn near speechless after the movie. He just felt like he'd experienced something special, like something different than anything he had ever seen before, which was refreshing to see. And 
it was kind of solidified on our car ride home because I could tell he he loved the project so much because if I pushed back or if I called out any little nitpick, I could tell uh, he'd get a little crabby with me. He'd start crying a little bit, and that's that's always a good sign that you found a movie that's special special to you. Like I remember growing up, if like my brother was complaining about like one of my favorite Marvel movies, I would I'd bitch him out, and it's only because I I loved it, obviously. I, I don't want to be Mr. Annoying anymore. And Jack will learn to grow out of that maybe in a couple more years when he hits like 30 or something. But that was refreshing <laughs> to see. So, Hey, man, you'd, you'd bitch me out even when you were in college. <laughs> right, right. I'm finally growing up. I'm, I'm getting better. I'm getting better. Jack, you got a little work to do. Um, but no, that was like the big takeaway for me. Um, another just great blast memory that I'll always remember um, especially since leading up to the pod, um, wasn't really respectful of her game, but I'm here to set the record straight. Florence Pugh, I apologize. As Vince Carter once said, I was not familiar with your game. Um, damn, damn. She can play ball. No <laughs> doubt. Um, yeah, I definitely have a huge crush on Florence Pugh. I'd never realized it. And <laughs> I, I knew within like a couple frames of her showing up as the empress I was on board. So that was a great, great memory. But jokes aside, the the best part of this theater experience, why it was an event, was seeing it in IMAX. There There are movies that come out that you see in IMAX that you know isn't made, like the priority wasn't it being an IMAX experience. This felt like it was designed to be seen in this way, in this way alone. Just the way that just the Hans like music would swell. My ears never hurt from like over-exaggerated dialogue or score or sound design. You could feel the, like the ripple effect from the helicopter, like bug planes. There was just beautiful sound design. It was just, you were engulfed in this world because of the theater and the experience. And it's one of those I won't forget. It's up there with like Dunkirk for Hmm. just events like the the location itself the theater itself having such an impact dude that's that's awesome um my memory making moments are definitely not as serious as that (laughs) that Uh, is fun yeah the first one is the dude telling off the kids in the back because that he is like my personal hero forever now i i strive to get to a point where my social anxiety is that low that i can go up to a group of 16s and not think that i'm gonna get like followed home and egged uh (laughs) but the other one is at one point in the movie there is a group of the the giant sandworms that are (laughs) attacking and there was audible laughter throughout my theater um (laughs) And it, it just everybody's thinking, like, asshole attack, you know? <laughs> uh, and it, it's it's a collective laugh that I haven't seen in a theater in a long time. So it was a fun one for me. But there's, uh, you go. There's just there's nothing better than when, like, one person has, like, a one-off comment that gets everyone rolling. I remember in Hereditary, um, someone, like, new people every, like, 15 minutes would do the... <laughs> after the first time then it just became like a running gag and then someone would be like god god damn it like you get someone to jump that was like there's that's always a good one that's awesome 
Um, aside from the silly stuff, though, the big screen moments in this, there were a couple. Uh, when Chalamet rode the worm, I was really feeling it. I was like, yeah, this is this is fucking awesome. Uh, I'm all in. And that's one that I think will lose a lot when you move the screen down from however big the, the GDX screen I saw it in was to the 55-inch TV in my living room. <laughs> I told Jack... That was like one of my first thoughts fresh out the theater was I would have paid the $20 IMAX price just to see that scene. That was worth the price of admission. It was it was an event. That scene was an event. Um, the Not just the fight in the arena, but the entire time you're spending at the arena in that planet where it's like black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just uh, just an oomph of a scene so cool the final battle um just oh there's so many there's just so many great moments like i i there are very few movies where i can justify the difference between seeing it on five dollar tuesday on a small screen and the imax screen and it actually having an impact i truly do think seeing this on in imax will make a difference in how you feel about this movie absolutely agree um if anybody has stuck around in the pod this long without even if you saw it on on a regular screen go back and watch it on on the biggest screen you can because it is it's pretty special visually up there so speaking of that and just how special it is to see this on the biggest screen possible it is worth it how does uh, an event movie like this where seen on the big screen matters impact theaters like how do you what are your thoughts on that yeah so this is uh this is why i was so sad um going into this it was really sad to see the state of my theater um i don't want to reveal too much about what we're working on at blast right now but i spent the last week and a half researching a lot of theaters uh from a list of of chain movie theaters throughout the u.s uh, the last time the list was updated was November of 2022, so it's about a year and a quarter later. And um, at, at, in November of 2022, there were 3,000 movies on that list, and now there's just about 2,000. It's pretty sad. Um, our our places are are going away here. And as much as we advocate for the smaller theaters, I mean, the big ones matter too. Uh, you look at Regal Cinemas having 600 and some locations not too long ago, and now they're down to about 150. It's it's very sad. And to see a quarter of the seats filled at the, what I think is probably going to be the biggest movie event of the year, uh, or at least an early contender for it, is it, it's pretty depressing, man. Yeah, I I really hope you go... I. I don't know if you have plans to see this again because of how lousy your experience was, but I encourage you to give it one last shot, like on a weekend or something, because my theater was packed today. I don't know if it's just, you know, in Oswego, small yeah. suburb thing versus a city. But even then, like I remember when I was in high school, I mean, the theaters were packed for MCU and Star Wars watches. So I don't know. I- I'm torn. I when when I left the theater how you felt it was like oh this sucks theaters are dead mine what i my feelings were like we're back like 
I, my theater is packed. We got people talking about popcorn buckets. We got people talking about scenes. Like, like strangers are talking to each other in the bathroom after the movie. Like it was one of those events. And that's refreshing to see. Do I think it will save smaller chains? No, because it's such a big event movie where seeing it on the biggest screen possible is the best way to watch it. It kind of it kind of kills, you know, our mom and pop shops, if you will. But I think it saves the concept of the theater watch, if that makes sense. Maybe so. Um, but yeah, and, and maybe it is a, a city versus suburbs thing. I will say, though, the even on weekends, the only time I ever see any crowd uh, at night at the theaters is on $5 Tuesday or $6 Tuesday now. And I, I, I mean, you got to think like Oppenheimer on $5 Tuesday, a week after it came out packed so bad that my friend had to park in the grocery store parking lot next door and walk quite a bit to to get to the theater that's Um, cool though that's super cool that's awesome but why like at at what point are the theaters just gonna say like maybe we should uh maybe the the 11 tickets aren't getting it done or, or the fucking 20 buck tickets for for imax i don't know man it's Something needs to change, I think, is is what I'm trying to say. And even though your your theater was packed, I'm sure there are just as many that were packed as there were empty. And so I, I'd love to see theater stay along as long as possible. But the streaming services and everything just feels like, I don't know, our, our times might be limited. We could, I mean, I feel like we could do a full pod and break this down. Like, do we really think it's, do we think that theaters want to jack up the prices or are they forced to by studios demanding like a certain cut of the movies and like having to keep up with their numbers? Like it's all a machine and the yeah. theaters are just getting the short end of the stick here. We think it's us, the the consumer, but I, I'm willing to bet that a lot of theaters would kill to be able to sell six, $7 tickets again. They just can't or the, the doors are going to close. That's fair. It's I think that the thought process right now is like uh, uh, like if I'm spending fifteen dollars to see Dune tonight, what's stopping me from spending fifteen dollars on three months of Netflix? Like it's it's just a sad state of affairs. But I want to move on from our sad theater talk. Let's hear. Let's just generally discuss this movie. Um, And I want to start that off by saying that the casting in this besides Florence Pugh feels weirdly just off at just about every beat. Um, I agree. Chalamet is, I think he proves that he's a very good actor. I don't know if he's right for this particular part. Oh, I'm, I'm finally convinced I wasn't after, um, part one. And we had a, we had a fun exercise, me and Jack and like, who would have been Paul if this came out and like, the early 2010s like is it Andrew Garfield is it like a different take on the character and Shia LaBeouf goes after Dune like I don't know I think that when this is all wrapped up Chalamet is the guy like I'm trying to think of the other guys in his class I mean Mezcal is going to be gladiator so I feel like he's off the table Mm -hmm. I mean he's leaps and bounds more talented than Tom Holland like I don't know what like boy-esque prince looking guy plays this part and acts it this well 
Yeah, it, I mean, there could be no names, but it's, I mean, L- Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill was nobody before he came on to Star Wars. I, like, this is the type of franchise, if you're Denis Villeneuve and know that it's going to be a franchise, that maybe you take a shot on a guy who you're like, oh, it's a really good actor. Let's give him a chance. Um, my follow-up, though, is, is Zendaya, like, actually good at acting? Because I'm not I'm convinced. So, I'm so torn. I'm so torn. I can't figure her out, man. Like everyone tells me and like forces me to believe she's an A-lister, like talent-wise. I'll believe it when I see it. This was the best I've seen her outside of like Euphoria. I will say, like I, this was a a quite the big step from Spider-Man. I think that the chemistry between Chalamet and Zendaya is stronger than anything we got from Holland and Zendaya in a Spider-Man movie, which is yeah. kind of ironic, but. I, I don't know. I feel like anyone could have played her character. I, re- I really do think that. But you made an interesting point on like their acting styles and like talent discrepancies may actually like benefit their relationship dynamic. I think that's a great point. And maybe Bill Nove <laughs> is doing it intentionally, which would be awesome. I'm just not sure. I think they went and got two big names. To I think so movie. too. Yeah, and and speaking of big names, uh, we have Mr. Elvis uh, playing the kind of the main big bad of this movie. I guess would you say? Uh, yeah. So it's funny. I everything I see on TikTok is this is the greatest science fiction movie ever. This may be the best movie I've ever seen. And like, funny enough, I, I don't believe that, but I understand the take. I can respect, appreciate, and kind of see where they're coming from. The love that Austin Butler is getting, I can't figure it out. I th- I think he's miscast. I think he's misunderstood this character and kind of goes full tilt like Jared Leto-esque in a role that had no business going that route. Yeah. And it feels like such a layup. Uh, he's playing Stellan Skarsgård's nephew. Get one of those two, man. Get... The Northman, Alexander Skarsgård, or fucking Pennywise, <laughs> Bill Skarsgård. It feels Dude. like such a shoe in to like it's such a layup to just cast one of those two guys and have them be your villain. Yeah, and you and they can just play themselves, be creepy versus Austin Butler doing method acting, essentially acting. I don't know, like he could be on some kind of FBI watch list instead. <laughs> He does some. Yeah. He just makes some creepy character choices that I know were not in the script. That he just felt like, just felt right for his character. And yeah, yeah this is going to be like a parasite moment where people see like an an unhinged villain performance and think it's like the best thing since sliced bread. And we've Goblin had way better. No way villains. home. Yeah, like give give me a break, guys. I I, I don't get it. I don't get it with AB. I. I he seems like a great guy. I'm not convinced he's he's the man. Yeah, I, I and I don't want to keep ragging on the actors for too long, but I do have to ask, uh, what the hell are Dave Bautista and Christopher Walken doing in this movie? Dave Bautista really let me down. I feel like he's been a stretch of like the last like three years where I feel like he's been he's been turning it on. I feel like he was good in Knives Out too. I feel like he was good in Knock at the Cabin. I felt like he's like understanding the character of Drax and like leans into it. Dune Part One, he's more of just a presence, like a scary figure. 
he felt like General Hux in Last Jedi: Rise of yeah. Skywalker in this movie. Just very over the top, too too loud, like just screamed a lot. Yeah, and and Christopher Walken looks like he stumbled out of a nursing home and he's trying to figure out where to go. Uh, I'm I, not convinced that guy knows what the plot of this movie was. <laughs> if if you had told me that there was no Empress character in the book, but they wrote her in just in case Christopher Walken either dies or forgets <laughs> that he's this character, I I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I, I don't know what he's doing here. He's it's like horrible. he's like a hundred years old. I mean, I kept on thinking of that Super Bowl commercial that just came out where everybody's like impersonating him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Is this movie any better or worse with Steve Buscemi playing the emperor? (laughs) It's the same. It's exactly the same. It's the same. It's the same. Kiefer Sutherland as the emperor. Um, Yeah, man. I, do you have any positives? Cause I feel like we just got pretty negative for the last few minutes on a movie that we did both enjoy. (laughs) Chalamet is great. I, I think he's legitimately great and I'm convinced he's a star. Whereas I, I, I wasn't convinced before. I think he can be a leading man. So thumbs up for Timmy. Um, I, th- I don't want to rag on Zendaya. I, I do think she brings it. I don't know. I was going to give love to Brolin, but I think, I don't think it's his fault in this case. I think Brolin brings it. I, I just don't think the script does a lot for his character. And that goes for, Javier Bardem as well. I think mm-hmm. he's great, but this character is a little bit goofier than I remember him being in part one. And they really lean into it a little bit. Um, they do some interesting things with religion and him having a ton of faith. And I think that element works super well, but they also use him as comedic relief with the religion too. And it gets messy and goofy. Yeah. And they don't do it. I don't think they execute it very well, but he's they- good in the movie they kind of mix the tones a little bit there. And I see one of your notes is just that the side characters were kind of lacking a little bit. And I think that's a consequence of, if you look at Dune part one, how many characters were developed just to die. And now we look at Dune part two and we have seven more characters introduced to the like five or six returning. There's so much happening here that I think it's kind of hard. Like there were times in this movie where you go probably an hour without seeing Rebecca Hall's character, even though she's like very integral to the Ferguson, Ferguson, Rebecca Rebecca Ferguson. Ferguson. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) But no, I, I, you make an interesting point. And my, my immediate call out was with a movie. So epic, so grand, big scale. Villeneuve had to pick his spots. Like, all right. I can't give character work to all of these people. Who do I dive into? I think he chose the correct route of leaning into uh, Chalamet, Zendaya, like their relationship being the forefront, starting to give us a little bit more of Rebecca Ferguson's character. But I still, I honestly don't understand her motivations. Is she acting in the interests of her son or is she acting in the interests of her like witch group? Like it's kind of a callback to Dune Part One, where Oscar Isaac asks her, "Will you protect our son if I'm not there?" Mm-hmm. And I'm not asking you um, as his mother. I'm asking as like as the, the Reverend, Jezzeret. as the witch, right? Like, will you protect our son? And I'm not convinced that she is. So I, 
I think that that will be the thread that gets pulled on in the next one. There's just too many moving pieces. Like Duncan, like Jason Momoa's character from part one, he was one of my favorite side characters. Mm -hmm. I think that if maybe he stuck around and not Brolin's character, we have a little bit more to work with in part two. Um, Maybe we save the Emperor for part three, and the Baron is our big bad for all of part two. I don't know. Like there was a lot going on. I think they picked the right characters to lean on, but what are you going to do? And with that, with so much going on, that kind of brings me to my big complaint for this movie, because all, all of that stuff probably brings it down to an A, but what brings it down to an A minus is that I don't think I'll be ready for the three hour long Dune three for a couple more years until it comes out. And I can't imagine I'll be revisiting this until Dune 3 starts getting its hype and I'll obviously fall for the same tricks. But the big worry for me is, do you know how many Dune books there are? I just thought it was one big book. Like one There are really six book. Dune books. Holy and it has moly. taken five hours to get through the first one. At what point... I just... I'm already feeling a lot of big IP fatigue from so many things right now. I feel like this is going down that path and I would have much rather seen uh, Vilnov put his artist touch, put a bow on it and wrap it up. Um, Like uh, David Lynch did it very sloppily in 1984, but I think that there was an opportunity to wrap this up very nicely. And instead we're probably going to be talking about Dune 10 in 15 years. It's I think just disappointing to me. We're the wrong ones to judge, though, because we both haven't read the books. And maybe there's just so much more to unpack with Paul's character that it would be doing Dune fans an injustice if they cut it off after six hours of storytelling. You know, so I agree with you in some sense, the same way that I wish the Batman was a standoff, like solo yeah. one movie project and we just got a perfect Batman story. And I, I understand where you're coming from, but trying to look, in it, look at it from a lens of Dune fans. But that's such like a naive take on it because you're right. They're not looking at it from the lens of we have to protect the fans. No, we have to protect our pockets. That's definitely what they're, the way they're seeing it because Dune Part 1, if I remember correctly, was like, straight to streaming on HBO max the same time as the theaters. And I'll tell you, like if that wasn't a big IP with someone making a business pitch of like, Hey, we're going to have some crazy hot toy sales for the next 25 years. If we do a trilogy, um, I don't care how bad this first movie does at the box office. We're going to do three like that. That doesn't happen for a different project. That doesn't happen for like, let's say don't breathe or something. Like yeah. a like a smaller movie. So I get what you're saying. I'm just I'm trying to be naive just slightly. I'm, I have hope. I think all I'm just getting right now is I'm tired of of seeing big blockbusters that spawn ten sequels. I I want the Oppenheimers and the Barbies that are gonna be right there and you're gonna love it and they're gonna make a ton of money and they're well made. And then you can move on and you don't have to worry about, oh, well, are they going to be able to get Villeneuve, Chalamet, Ferguson, Zendaya, 
Anya Taylor-Joy plays the fetus in this movie. Like, all of these massive stars back for the next one. (laughs) Yeah, and I get it, but you bring up movies like Oppenheimer, Barbie, like special one-off stories. Wouldn't it be perfect if we had a director that's great at telling those contained stories and give him the keys to a big IP where they're going to stretch it movie to movie to movie, and they'll always be quality. Bill Nub is the king of contained stories. We've got... We've got Prisoners, Enemy, Arrival. Um, I don't think he has any interest in doing a Blade, another Blade Runner sequel. He wanted to tell his one story and get in, get out. I think that giving someone with that power, that control, and that body of work, something that lasts a decade, is the right person to give the keys to. I mean, look what happened to Star Wars and Marvel. Giving it to randoms, letting the production studio the head honchos run point on everything. They're all falling off the railroad tracks. Say what you want. Like, I know we're frustrated that the bow hasn't been like tied on this story yet. And it feels like it's being stretched and we're waiting for the epic story to come together, but they're well-made. I think the stories are great. They're it's told on a grand scale, some special effects I've never seen before. It feels different than most everything that's coming out right now. And I don't think that happens if you give Dune to J.J. Abrams and Disney, you know? Yeah, uh, that's absolutely a great take. And I think ultimately, as much as we speculated on it right now, I, it's time's going to tell on if this is a good thing or a bad thing. But I am glad that it'll probably be another year and a half before another three hour dune watch (laughs) you know what man it's funny you say that and i i hear you but the first thing i said to my roommate when the credits started i turned to him i said i could do another three hours i i was so engrossed in that story in that world in a way that i wasn't with part one or honestly any big ip in the last 10 years so i just felt Something was different about the momentum momentum of this story versus the last one. I, love I, it. I was happy, and I know that the story isn't complete, but this one felt like Dead Reckoning Part One, where in Dead Reckoning Part One, the objective of the movie was to get the completed key. It wasn't to get into the Sevastopol and finish the mission. It was just to get the key. This movie... From the jump, I felt like it was all about Paul's revenge on the Emperor. And he accomplished his mission. He got his revenge. But his revenge led to a consequence of starting this holy war that he was having visions about. So, yes, it doesn't wrap up the entire story. But it does, in a sense, wrap up his revenge story, I feel. I get I get what you mean. Um all right, this this pod is running long, so I we got a couple more things to touch on. I want to ask you, where does this sit in your Villeneuve rankings? So I, I hate doing this right off the rip. Yeah, I know that I see it again or like give it a month, it will change. But gun to my head, if I had to rank them right now, I still give Blade Runner 2049 my number one spot. I think it will be locked into my my one forever. Then I have Dune Part 2 at the two spot right now. Sicario at three, Prisoners at four, Arrival at five. So Enemy got bumped, and Doom Part 2 skyrocketed towards the top. 
I just have more of a special connection with BR and the special effects. Like I felt like were a little more groundbreaking at the time. And I think the character work done in BR 2049 is more up my alley versus Dune. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I think the character work in BR 2049 is just a masterpiece. Um, my top five is number one enemy. Again, my most pretentious take ever, but I stand by it. Uh, number two, 2049. Uh, then three, Dune 1. Four, Prisoners. And then I got Dune 2 at my number five. I, I think that's a great... I That's what I love about Villeneuve. I similar to Nolan, you could rattle off any list and I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Like you can justify any, any order with Villeneuve. Nice. Um, does this break into your top three blast sci-fi movies of all time? Mm. Um, give it, give it another watch. Maybe I, I try, I'm trying to avoid recency bias here. So in short, no, it doesn't. It's probably top, top 10, no, like sci-fi top five, but I'll rattle off my top three science fiction blast movies. And remember, a blast movie is all about the experience, the feelings, the memories, all of that. It's not just the the uh, the objective, the uh, the technical side. So at the one spot, I've said it once: Blade Runner twenty forty nine. That's gonna be locked in forever. Then in my second spot, one of my favorite theater watches ever. It was my first Star Wars movie in a theater. It made me fall in love with Star Wars all over again. That's The Force Awakens. Say what you want about the movie now, but I will always have a love for that event. And then at my three spot, I feel like every 23-year-old had the same experience when they were like late elementary, early middle school and watched Aliens in the Attic with their siblings on road trips <laughs> um car like uh car rides you know in the family room all together like rented it from the library or something aliens in the attic that's a great science fiction movie it's in my top three i will always have like a special place in my heart for it it's just a phenomenal movie period uh (laughs) damn right damn right my top three is very different i think um my number three is tenet which I know you're still not that big of a fan of, but uh, the event of going to the movies then, uh, first movie back from COVID, sold out show, best theater I've ever been to. Um, awesome. Number two for me is Blade Runner 2049 because of all those emotions that we've talked through so uh, so much this pod. And number one, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which... I will save you all from hearing about me just glaze that movie for the 50th time. So let's, let, yeah, let's, let's give the eternal sunshine, take a little bit of a break. I get that. It's, <laughs> I didn't realize it's 1240 at night. We've had quite the dune day has been a long day, but yeah. one last segment that I'm so glad you brought up before we jumped on this pod, something we've been starting to do. Give me the comp for dune part two. Just give me a random comp. So this is very specific, but I actually had what I think is the exact same experience as Dune Part 2 very recently. I didn't tell, uh, talk about this on the pod at all, but I'm a huge David Lynch fan, as you can probably tell uh, by me talking about him so much on this pod. And I've heard all these amazing things about how Twin Peaks is like the best show ever. And so I was like, all right, how, how many seasons is it? 
and all over online it says like oh well the second season's total dog shit because lynch just like gave up on it and walked away and bob Iger came in and took over so they're like yeah just watch the first season and you're gonna be fine all these very intriguing mysteries are posed all these characters are introduced and developed very well and twin peaks season one is 12 episodes long an hour per episode sat through it all in uh probably two weeks loved every second of it and none of the mysteries were solved uh at the end of the first season only more were introduced and i was so pissed and i'm like <laughs> huh how, how long is season two maybe i should just stick it out it's like 30 episodes hour each yeah no oh. sh- no shot am i watching a single minute of that <laughs> That's literally your Dune experience. Yeah. Ah, fuck this. Not another four hours. <laughs> so for me, man, like I'm looking at it in a way better light. So when Jersey Mike's was first introduced to me in elementary school, all I knew it was, oh, that's the place you get kind of okay Philly cheesesteaks. Like let's go get, <laughs> let's go to Jersey Mike's and get a hot sub. And then I discovered the cold sub part of the menu. And I tried the number eight, the club sub. Not only does it have, you know, the ham, the turkey, the provolone, and getting it Mike's way, but you get bacon and mayo on that sandwich. Dude, I've been having that sandwich for like six, seven years. It is legitimately the best sandwich I've ever had. It's it's just perfect on in all aspects. And the first time having it, I remember having to eat it for like a year and a half straight because of that like random covid defect i had well well, i can unpack that a whole nother time but (laughs) i saw i saw dune part one that was the philly cheesesteak the hot sub Eh, meh not for me then i discover the number eight the cult the the uh the club sub the club sub is dune part two for me just special different awesome than the rest of the subs i love the cop um Thank you all for listening to this very special episode of the Blast Podcast. We're glad we could make it happen. Uh, it has been a long day, so I'm going to get you out of here quick. Be sure to check out our website at blastmovies.net and our Instagram at blast underscore movies underscore and our TikTok at blast.movies for all our latest content and news. We'll catch you next week. Mm-hmm.